Do you know the risk factors for type 2 diabetes? Or what makes it more likely you or someone in your life might have the disease? With type 2 diabetes playing a growing role in the lives of so many, you need to know. And Project Power, a community program from the American Diabetes Association, is here to help. Take our risk test today at diabetes.org slash Project Power. You can avoid the risk of type 2. Project Power will help. With Kroger Free Pickup, the savings are always with you. So you get the same great deals as in-store right in the app. Add your family's favorites to your cart while at the zoo, the science fair, or wherever. No matter where you order Kroger Pickup from, you can stay on budget while easily stocking up on everything you need. So start your cart and save from wherever today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. One, two, ready for the interview. And if you get a cue live on a laptop, watch what I'm going to do. Welcome to the show. Let them know we got a point of view. Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real. That's the motto. Real talk, pronto. Dr. D, PhD, hit the intro. Hold up, wait. Gotta be social. Network, global, home for the locals. Gotta be social. Network, global, home for the locals. Okay, we're here with Jen, and we're going to talk about some shit you don't want to talk about. <laughs> Jen, how are you? Delightful, delightful. Thanks for having me on the show. You are welcome. By the way, I'm loving the hair. Thank I you. I love people who have different hair color. I wish you could see I have this going on, too, uh, here. Uh, but I love that. And I think that's what I saw. Like, I think I saw it was like, matchmaker.fm i think that's where i saw, saw you okay that that answers that question because i randomly got like the post on through my website but it was not through the uh the normal way uh because i have like a guest form but not for me to be on uh, mm. on somebody else's and i was like oh this is cool this is a cool podcast and i got really excited oh that's it's <laughs> awesome yeah i try to find different ways to contact people because sometimes you never know what people respond to like somebody mm -hmm. will give you their email and then they never check their email. I'm like, I don't understand that. Like, that's a bunch of shit there that I don't like. <laughs> I'm like you know. What, what way of communication do you actually do? Not that you say you do. <laughs> yeah. It happens all the time to me. I'm like, why even have this out here if you don't use it? Like, it's just strange marketing. I don't know. I, I would say Instagram is that for me now because I have a marketing company that uh, does everything for me. So they're like, Jen, don't touch it. We have to grow your Instagram. No touchy touchy. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so if he will DM yeah. me on my like personal one, I'll reply. But on, on the podcast one, I'm like, I can't touch it. <laughs> yeah, you can't touch it. Don't, can't touch this. <laughs> nope. Nope. So. You just can't touch this. I know. Exactly. It's uh. Well, let's jump into uh, shit you don't want to talk about because that what drew me. And I was like, okay, this is clearly somebody who is just like, I'm just going to go in. I'm going to talk about different stuff that maybe is not um, people talk about all the time. So where did this come from? Where did this, this sense of talking about this type of stuff come from? Yeah, great question. Uh, shit you don't want to talk about is a podcast created to turn shit you don't want to talk about into shit to talk about because there are so many topics 
as a society that we brush under the rug. And so much of it, it, it really is my passion of human connection. And to create human connection, you have to have vulnerability, uh, be able to have the courage to talk about what we have shame around, because the way to get rid of shame, as like Brene Brown talks about, is being able to speak up and talk about it, and it helps get rid of that shame. And so many of us feel so alone that this podcast was created, so we don't feel so alone, so we actually speak up, and we can create more human connection together. Now, that's the entire gist of the podcast. You asked me how it got there. In a very, very quick fashion, I have been through solitary confinement, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, intellectual abuse, spiritual abuse, rape, suicide attempts, self-harm, death of a friend, homelessness, marriage, divorce, two abortions, and I've moved 30-something times in my lifetime. So... I learned from a very young age, I'm an only child. And I really think solitary confinement is what made me realize how much I yearned for human connection. And once I saw that other people were being made fun of at school for being different, or you had to be one of the popular kids to have that connection. It just made me like want to push away the popular kids and just really gravitate towards individuals that were more creative or more distinct. And a big part of school that happened for me is my nickname was Pizza Face or Loppy. And Pizza Face for me was before middle school. It was actually in second and third grade. I had really bad acne really young. And then uh, Loppy was because my left breast never developed. And so uh, today is actually my first day back and in the saddle of I had the surgery done when I was 17. And then three weeks ago, I just had the surgery redone because, and this is a big thing that I I do want to put out there is so many people think plastic surgery is very fake. Mm. A lot of times it's very, at least for myself, I can speak to, it is a very, it was a very deep seated emotional piece that yes, I can say it's cosmetic. Most people don't care. My partner doesn't care. He's like, I love you the way you are. Yet since I've had the surgery, I'm like, I'm me. Yay. That's awesome. Uh, so it's, it's all of that is what's driven me to create the podcast. I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot there, Jen. So I want to go back to this solitary confinement. Let's define this in the terms you're discussing. What does that mean when you're saying that? Yeah, from the ages of two to the age of eight, I was locked in my room with a little uh, porta potty kind of thing. Like you teach your kids to go Mm -hmm. to the bathroom. And um, there were times that I was locked in my room and um, my dad would take everything out of my room, absolutely everything. And the first night I got a sleeping bag. The second night I got to choose between my pillow and my teddy bear. And I chose my teddy bear (laughs) because it was my best friend. Um, And I have been going through therapy 
for it. And through EMDI, EMDR, uh, eye movement desensitization repetition. Uh, and what I remembered because of therapy is that my mom and dad would be screaming at each other. And I would just like beg to get out to go save my mom. And come to find out, my dad was always physically and emotionally abusive to my mom. And so that was very deep seated. Like I didn't realize how long it went for and how impactful it was on my life until the last few years that I really started going, huh, I cry when somebody says something funny to me, but I don't cry when there's a death or something like that around me. I don't cry at the right time, I guess you could mm. say. I'm a, I have a very avoidant behaviors. And so therapy has really taught me a lot. And that's what I mean by solitary confinement is I'd be locked in there for weeks. Wow. So how do you think that started? How did that shape your future life past that age and your relationships with other people? I would say, uh, one thing that my dad did is he would still have pool parties when I was locked in my room. And my best friend, who is still one of my best friends to this day, I call her more of my sister because I've literally known her since I was born. She would run around the side of the house to try to talk to me through the window. And that type of connection, like she was the only person I got to talk to, the only person I was allowed to hang out with when. Uh, cause our dads were friends. And then I moved to Idaho. I, I was born in Arizona and at the age of eight, I moved to Idaho. And that's where a lot of the sexual abuse started, um, from family members. And at the same time, all of that is going on. Kat, my best friend is writing me letters. Cause it's like, you know, back in the day, I think we moved in 96. So she's like actually writing me letters and yeah. I, to this day, take forever to reply, but I did reply and she kept our friendship going. And that's when I really subconsciously started like just yearning for that worthiness, yearning for that, just wanting to be loved. Like I used to pay for everybody else's snacks or stuff at school. Like mm. I got in trouble for it because I would just want to like buy all my friendships. And it was the type of thing that no one really understood why I was so talkative and why I was so rowdy and why I was basically begging people to be my friends. And that's the majority of my life until I blossomed, I guess you could say, uh, uh, from a friend uh, getting me out of a very, very toxic relationship. And I moved in with him and his husband. And I started finding out that I can stand out with purple hair. I can stand out with you know, be fashionable and care about my health and care about fitness and travel worldwide. Like my dreams are possible, yet it was a lot of repeating patterns before that. Yeah. You think it's difficult to get into uh, significant other relationships when there's this much trauma that you're dealing with in your life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I say that in the fact of I met my partner April 1st. Well, we worked together. Um, we actually ended up, I hitched a ride to San Diego with him. Wait, wait, <laughs> well, hold on. Wait, we're hitching. A, we hitched a ride to San I just thought, where were you hitching from? 
<laughs> okay, so the, he was a coworker and I didn't really know him, but I really needed, I wanted to go to San Diego and my car wouldn't get me there. Okay. So I was like, dude, give me a ride. You're going there this weekend. Give me, let me ride. And he's like, well, I'm leaving at like 7 a.m. I'm like, cool, cool. I'll be at your house. And about 45 minutes, an hour away from him. And he was like, no, 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 I'm going to leave at six. And then he changed it to five. And then he changed it to four. Whoa. Because he, he didn't want to mingle with coworkers. And I get that. I do get that. That is a very valid thing. I still showed up at 4 a.m. <laughs> and I totally just fell head over heels for this guy. Yet a few weeks within, uh, by April 28th. So we kind of started dating April 1st. By April 28th, I went to Europe for three months for work. And we were good the first two months. And then the third month, I couldn't balance my worthiness at work. So if I have to put all of my time and energy into work, I can't be in a relationship. And uh, y'all, this is really fucked up. I did it. I know. But I broke up with him over a call and then over a text just to like solidify it. Mm -hmm. I was a total jerk. Um, and then when I got back from Europe, I ended up taking a course, a uh, five-day women's course with Matthew Hussey. And that was the first time I did any inner child work. And I walked away from that and was like, oh shit, I just don't, I never thought I could be loved. Huh. And I went to ask him for forgiveness and we were like, cool, we'll take this day by day. I went on a date with a different guy the next day. And I bought a hat. So I'm on a date with a totally different guy to a fashion show. And I bought my partner a hat. Well, Sunday, I was like, okay, I'm in it. I don't want to date anyone else. I'm a human. And yeah. we've been together four years since. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on here. There's <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going on here. And so let's, Let's move into, like you had mentioned, like there was a litany of things you had mentioned before. And a few, I think one of those things was a su suicide attempt. Correct me if I'm wrong. What was the nature of those things? Uh, because this is certainly a topic to discuss some shit you don't want to talk about, but that mm -hmm. needs to be discussed. Take, take me yeah. through that. Uh, a lot of what we led up to that was the physical abuse, the emotional abuse and the sexual abuse. Um, because and moving around quite a bit because my one best friend was in Arizona still and I'm in Indiana or I'm in Idaho and I had no connection so I basically put my worth in my relationships so any guy I was dating my world revolved around them and I lost myself in them and I started dating a guy out of school um, that was a leadership academy, like a charter school. And he convinced his parents to move back to the regular public school that we were going to. So I convinced my mom to do the same. The day we got back, he broke up with me. And leading up to that, I already was trying to take out my pain on myself. Like I thought I deserved it. I thought that all being called loppy, being called ugly, being called a slut, being called the reason that my parents are getting a divorce. I'm the reason that everything was wrong in the world, that my parents were in debt, that, uh, you know, 
it was my fault for getting hit. It was my fault for, you know, getting sucker punched in the stomach. <laughs> uh, and I believed it. And that's what started causing the cutting and the self-harm. And then when he broke up with me that day, it wasn't like I planned it. It was more of a, I went home and I said goodbye to my cats and I swallowed a lot of medicine. I stumbled back to my bed and I never expected to wake up. Wow. And, and who found you or did you just wake up yourself and then you were like, well, I'm not dead. <laughs> uh, I, I woke up with uh, vomit all over myself and I was laying on my back which that is a, um, a lot of times if you're sick and you vomit and you're laying on your back, you can choke on your own vomit. I did not go to the hospital for five days because my mom's like, Oh, you're sick. That's normal. I'll just call the school. And she didn't realize what was going on. Like my mom had a lot of stuff going on herself. So looking back, I can only imagine what my mom was going through having a teenager and also a now ex husband that's incredibly abusive and manipulative um and so she noticed like I took the pills on a Wednesday and then on Sunday she's like you're not going better we're going to the hospital and so we get to the hospital and they're like hey we think you have hepatitis C I didn't even know that was a thing my mom went to call everybody um because it's contagious and they walked out and I'm in and out of consciousness. And I told them I swallowed the pills. And by that point, I, it my they are fully digested. They can't put my stomach and they were going to lifelike me to Utah for a liver transplant. Mm -hmm. And somehow within a few hours, I was fine. Hmm. Like it never happened. And it was a very, very hard thing for me because one of my very, very good friends, Arletta, died a few months earlier, and I couldn't comprehend why she died and I lived. And that guilt has been with me for almost 20 years, and it's only been the last few years that I'm like, I lived because I need to do good in the world. And it's my job to do that, not it's my calling. It's what I love to do is human connection, and that was just another lesson I had to learn. Was that the, was that the only time or was there another time as well with this attempt? Uh, there were a bunch of times that I said that I was suicidal, mm -hmm. but they never took me seriously when I was at the hospital. Um, I think I went to the hospital six times for saying I was suicidal and they let me go every time. Really? My, uh, the counselor that was court assigned during the divorce for my mom and I to go to also didn't believe me that I was being physically abused or emotionally abused. So why say something like... about that. <laughs> I also ran away to the police station to try to get help. Yeah. And they also called my parents and took me home. So, you know, it was, <laughs> there was no getting out of that. I mean, that feels like a dead end. Like if they're not going to believe you, the authorities, where do you go from there? A lot of it was very blessed with friends that have shown up in my life that were there when things happened, um, that I could convince my mom to let me go to their house because 
hey, it's easier to get rid of a kid and deal with your own shit if they're at their friend's house. And um, the guy I started dating right after my suicide attempt, I, he is, is seriously such a good human that he helped me get through a lot of the trauma. And his little sister was the same age as me. And also, and I'm like 14 or 15 at this point. So I would just say that I was going to go spend the night and hang out with his sister. So I don't know if my mom saw through it, but according to what I told my mom, his sister was like my new best friend. I barely know the girl, right. <laughs> but hanging out with him really helped me get through the next few years till I was old enough to get on my own. But by the time we broke up my senior year, I dropped out of high school and I, I became homeless not because I didn't have somewhere to go, but because I thought I would no longer be loved to go there. So where did you go when you were homeless? Were you just going to other people's homes type of thing? Or where, I mean, like, were you just out there? Like, I slept around to have a roof over my head. Yeah. Not proud of it, but that was a way to get myself somewhere that I had a place I could shower, a place that I could sleep on a bed. There were many times I slept in my car. Yeah. So, but my ex-boyfriend's grandma is who I could have stayed with. But since we broke up, I didn't think she'd want me there anymore. What was life like when you were, did you ever, you know, lay down at night and think about all this when you're, you know, homeless or you ever think, what is, what's going on with my life? Like, what is this all about? Like these ex, do you ever have like these existential questions about your life when you have these quiet moments? I, there's a question that I always ask myself and I've been asked on by random people and on different podcasts of what drove me to get through these situations. And I mean, the odds were against me and honestly, it was just something inside me just told me to keep going. Yeah. And honestly, I think Arletta passing away was probably like a, you know, a guardian angel also helping me push through it. And um, it's, that's the hardest things I have to, to deal with is thinking about how did I not give up? I mean, I do, I've literally tried to, but how did I not give up after that? How did I get yeah. lucky enough to have such good people in my life to help me through this? And how did I end up going through personal development courses to get to where I am today? I honestly don't know other than there's always been a drive to push and my curiosity of people to just see, well, what's your life like? What can I learn from you and try something they're doing? So where do you feel you're at today in this present time, kind of emotionally and socially with everything that's happened to you? Emotionally and socially, I feel that human connection is so much more important than I ever imagined. And it was, I'm finally accepting the fact that I'm different than other people. I say that as I've had jobs that they want me to fit into a box. School wanted me to fit into a box. I'm not great at fitting into a box. I want to draw all the shapes and stack them on top of each other <laughs> and, you know, have multi-colors. Yeah. And it's, 
emotionally, it's, it's a beautiful thing to finally self-accept. It's hard. The journey is difficult and it's not always there, but it's so worth it. And now that I self-accept, I can show up in my sparkly gold overalls and have purple hair and I can show up as me. So that way I can show up for others. And socially, that's, that's my goal is I've had to learn how to protect my own energy. So that way I can use my energy for others. And it's, it's not the easiest by any means. It's interesting. You mentioned the sparkly overalls and stuff. That's the picture I saw of you. Yeah. That you had on there. And honestly, that really resonated with me. Because I'm, I'm at a phase in my life where I feel like, like how I look currently is how I've always wanted to look. And it's not like, like a lot of bad stuff happened to me. Nothing did really, but it was kind of like this idea of what other people think you should be like, and that you should fit into this perfectly square box and wear these things and act this way. And I was like, I don't understand why we need to do this. And so I resonate with somebody like yourself who's like, yeah, I'm just going to I'm just going to like wear this. I'm going to, I'm going to like be like this. And I was watching a show the other day and somebody was wearing like the craziest outfit. And I told my wife, I was like, I love that. I'm like, you should just be do. you know, if you want to wear crazy stuff, whatever. It's, 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 that's your, you, you, it's your personal, it's your personal canvas. You, mm-hmm. you know, my tattoos, my hair, like what's the big deal if I look different than other people? And, and that's, that's something that I really struggled with too, was I love my gold overalls or some, I love flashy clothes as long as they're comfortable, uh, because I, I love feeling bright. I love being able to talk to people. And I had to deal with the fact that somebody said a comment of, well, you're just wearing them because you want all the attention. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, no. I wear old lady clothes too. Like this is <laughs> basically an old lady sweater. I'm surprised I don't have a brooch on. Right. Um, love my style now. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I get that other people may see it as I just want all this attention because I'm not conforming to society yet. Society doesn't need to be all, we don't need to be sheeple. We need yeah. to think for ourselves and make our own opinions. and. It's taken time to get there. How have you navigated the um, the large universe of social media, knowing everything you've gone through and the worthiness? Do you think that because you've had this self-acceptance, you're able to navigate maybe many of the pitfalls and the comments of things that people may say? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you're aware of uh, we've come into this age where you know we're learning a lot about all these things, algorithms, recommendations, the good and bad sides. How have you navigated that? Honestly, I've been like a a crab or, uh, you know, uh, a snail about it because I overthink about what to post. So Mm. I don't post. (laughs) (laughs) So my social media, Uh, this is why I hired a marketing team. mm. They have told me what I need to make for my TikTok videos, which I'm finally making TikTok videos. And I have always like on my personal page, I'm just like, Eh, I'll post what I'm up to, you know, if it's fun, if it's cool. I posted 
videos of when I almost got raped in Peru to me crying uh, because, you know, I had a fucking panic attack. Like it's, this is, I try to be as real as possible on my social media. And I would say there's pros and cons to not becoming viral yet in the fact that I don't have a lot of haters on social Mm -hmm. media yet, yet when I see other people hate on people I look up to, I do my best to change the conversation mm-hmm. when, when I can and when I can have that influence because it, social media, so many people think that, you know, you can hide behind a keyboard, but you can also hide behind a keyboard to be good, not yeah. just hide behind the keyboard to be bad. Yeah. Was, it's interesting. I think what's all, often highlighted is the bad stuff of what's mm-hmm. going on. And you think it's, it's just littered with bad things, but they're also good stories. It's just often not reported, mm-hmm. the good things, and the strange humanity of us that we, we kind of get really fixated on the car crashes of life. You know, yeah. we get pulled in towards the chaos. And we, it seems like, just my personal opinion, we we tend to like acknowledge good things, but it doesn't feel as salacious and like, ooh, mm-hmm. this pull. And I think that's part of the issue is coming to grips that people really get pulled. People, for some reason, are very pulled towards chaos and observing it. And in an almost this voyeuristic way of the other, other people's falling apart or, or silliness or whatever it may be, you know? I, I believe that is also, we do that to ourselves individually. Yeah. It's very easy for many of us to go in a downward spiral than it is to pull ourselves out of it. Mm. And for many people, like I can't watch cringy comedy movies. Like, you know, when they're making fun of each other or they're doing pranks on each other, I can't uh-huh. watch them. Right. Like, I'm just like, oh my God, that's too cringy. Like, no, 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 I yeah. can't, I can't deal with those feelings. And I think a lot of people can deal with those feelings because if it's happening to that other person, it's not happening to them Mm. where I, I don't know if I'm like a crazy empath, but if I watch those movies, I'm like, Ooh, they make me cringe. They make me hurt. And uh, something that you said that I I did want to mention is I have found myself in social media when I have posted on like my story or a post and I have gone to the phase of nobody's liking it. Nobody's commenting it. Why Mm. am I even doing this? And going to that downward spiral too. And my logical brain can be like, well, you don't post enough. So the algorithm isn't going to show shit to anybody. So uh, you're not going to be seen. You want to be seen, you post more. And that's a very, the only way that I can pull myself out of that is just taking space away from social media. And focusing more on self-care tips, like sounds weird, but I love video games and I've been playing Mass Effect nonstop. And (laughs) that's been a great way to like forget about the rest of the world while I'm healing from surgery or, you know, when things aren't moving fast enough for my podcast or I got laid off in January. So I'm still job hunting. And when I get down on myself for that, it's a lot of well, what is good in the world? What is something I can be grateful for? Mm-hmm. And what is something that I can do right now? And right. that's that's what I've had to learn to take care of myself and get out of those bad mindsets. Yeah, most definitely. 
let's turn our attention towards your podcast a little bit here. What's the most memorable episode you've had so far? We've been talking a lot of, uh, of not being in the box and society standards and, uh, you know, expectations. And I did an episode, I, I reached out to Alonzo on, on Instagram because I was following the hashtag men's mental health. I find Mm -hmm. it very, very important. And also a very, very big thing is for marginalized communities because the podcast is there to give others a voice. I'm like, if I can have a platform, they can have a voice. And Alonzo came on the show because I reached out to him about Black Boy Destiny, a song that he just released. Mm -hmm. And it's such a beautiful song. And he came onto the show and talked about how he grew up wanting to be like the manly man, but he wasn't like that. He's incredibly fashionable. Like seriously, the dude is like insane. Like I love all of his outfits. Um, And he was talking about how you can be male and be feminine. You can be female and be masculine. You can be and he opened up about talking about who he's interested in because everybody asks him and he's like, I'm interested in humans and we can be a little bit of everything. We don't have to be fit into a specific box. And I would say that episode really hit home because it's for someone that's so out there to be that vulnerable and to open up about things that have it he hasn't talked about before and I know that's scary for myself when I do it on episode on podcast and the trust that he had to have to do that and I just really appreciate it and there is a couple other episodes that are in my like top five but he's is definitely one of my favorites has there ever been an episode where you're you're conducting the, the episode interview discussion and you're like this is going way differently than I thought it was going to go. Plenty of them. <laughs> I, we, uh, you and I talked about it before we could starting to record on my podcast. I, I'll always do an intro call beforehand. Just make sure we vibe well. And then before the episode, uh, we record the episode. And then when we go record the episode, I normally it matches the intro call. And we figure out the subject beforehand, like what they want to talk about. And then it's like free flow from there. And I've had a couple episodes where I'm like, I did not go as expected in the fact that they talked the entire time and went on many tangents that wouldn't let me (laughs) ask (laughs) questions uh, or talk about what we originally planned. And they were just like a total downer the entire time Mm. or they weren't able to articulate their story very well. I I would say those have been the hardest because I I don't want to air those because it would do them an injustice Mm. because it's not going to make them look good. Yeah. And so other than that, uh, normally they're pretty like, they don't surprise me too much because I'm like, they're just going to bring up some random shit and it's going to be fun to talk about. Right. Do you ever think guests who maybe it starts going away, you 
don't think it's going to go. Let's say it's negative or some level. Do they know this about themselves? Maybe, <laughs> you know. I, <laughs> I actually paused an interview mm-hmm. and it was someone that wasn't articulating their story very well. And it was also saying, um, like, I think in the first 10 minutes, I counted over a hundred hours. And as the the host, I was like, I can't, I can't, like, this is, this is too much. And so I paused and I was like, Hey dude, do you want to, this is what's going on. I'm happy to continue. We can pause, we can re-record later on. And I don't blame that person for getting defensive at all because that's, it's hard to hear. And especially when they're first getting into this world. He actually emailed me the next day about it and was like, Hey dude, like you didn't deserve that defense. And I really appreciate you giving me that feedback so I can work on it. Yeah. I I would say that that's the hardest that I've had. And I'm like, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, when you're going to be a guest on something, it's really important. I always think to, you have to bring, you have to bring something to it. You have to bring you like actually you, but you also need to be aware of maybe your shortcomings and communication. And especially, and you think about it, as a host, you, I, I think it's way harder to be a host uh, because you're really having to make sure you're on point with keeping the conversation going, making it interesting, showing your personality, uh, for a guest, if you're like, you're coming on there, you have something to talk about, make it interesting, engage, you know, and are you a good orator or a good storyteller? I'm not sure people know that about themselves all the way. That, that involves a lot of self-reflection of your skills in that, you know. And, and a lot of work. It, to be a yes. storyteller, I, if you were to ask me to tell a story, I would have no idea what I'm doing. Right. Yet. I've learned through talking to people, the questions that they ask that, oh, you want me to go from point A to point C because they kind of connect. They're much more interesting, but I can highlight Z and F. So that way people get the full story, even without going deep dive into Z, for example. Right. And what I thought was interesting, you said to some guests, they just talk the whole time and never give you a chance. I've definitely been a part of those. And I'm like, maybe they needed to get this out of their system. I don't like, or maybe they're just not aware of the back and forth. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite ones are always the ones where the guests ask questions too. Like, and they're, they're curious people. I love curious people or like people you get on with and they're like immediately themselves. Like when we got on before we started recording, I was like, boom, this is Jen. I, this is definitely <laughs> asking questions. She's talking about it. She's, oh, I looked this up, the whole thing. Sometimes you get people and they're like very stiff. And it's like, loosen up a little bit here. <laughs> like, this isn't live, by the way. Like, it's like. I, I want to start doing them live. I'm like, I don't know how, but I want to. So. I'm going to look into that yet. I I completely agree. And there's been times where I've had guests show up that they're not in a good headspace. And I would say as a host, I need to be, especially with shit you don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. It can take people into dark spaces. Yes. 
And it's my job. I'm not a therapist yet. I would say the empathy part, I'm not really sure. I call it a superpower is mm-hmm. it's my job to pick up on that and be like, cool, dude, let's record later on. Like, yeah. I need to make sure that whoever I talk to, whoever's on the episode ends in a good space. And that's why we always end in gratitude. And I think it's very difficult to, to always gauge that because you can still mess up. And as a host, it's our job to steer the conversation and almost make sure people don't go to those dark spaces. And I know you have your PhD in fitness Mm -hmm. and everything. And that's really cool because totally going to talk to you about personal training, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I don't, I honestly, I don't have a degree. I dropped out of high school, but my mom made me take enough summer school. I still have a high school diploma, which is kind of cool. Uh, I went to college, five different colleges. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I don't remember now. And I never graduated, but people are my jam. Like people are people and I love people. So I don't have any book study, academic study yet. Mm -hmm. I have life study. And it's so important to be able to pick up on people and almost give them the space to show up yet protect them from going in a cave in a dark space. Well, you've been tested. Like you've, you've done the thing that a lot of people don't experience a lot. You've been tested regularly in your life. You've had physical testing, mental testing, social, emotional testing. And uh, while it, it's difficult, you've been challenged a lot. You know, a lot of people aren't challenged that often. And especially in our current lifestyle, a lot, there's a lot of, there's hard things about life c- clearly, but there's also life is in many ways a lot easier than it's ever been. And so people often aren't tested or on a regular basis. And so you have something that other people don't have is you've gone through the gauntlet many times from what I can, <laughs> what I've heard so far, what you said, you've been tested and gone through the gauntlet. You, you learn about yourself when you're reflective about yourself when you've been tested, hopefully. But if you've never been to, te- I don't want to be around somebody that's never been tested in a lot of phases because I don't know what I'm going to get once that happens. <laughs> I'm like, who knows? But someone like yourself, I'm like, okay, you've been through a lot of grueling things. You're still here. There's something really powerful about that and the lessons you learned from that. Thank you. And of course. I would I would definitely say uh, it's not over. Uh, my no. <laughs> my father-in-law moved in with us, who was a recovering addict. He is still a recovering addict. Yeah. He had been homeless and a meth addict for over 30 years. And he moved in with us in May and y'all that shit was hard. (laughs) Like I think back on stuff I, I went through and I'm, I think it's so far away that I'm like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. It was bad. I just, I don't have that. I'm not as close to it. And now my father-in-law is like my best friend. Like I call him all the time. He's in assisted living now. And (laughs) yet it was, that challenge was there and to that point I've been through challenges before and so had my partner so we were able to go okay this sucks but we can get through it yeah temporary it's always temporary yes I I love your whole story I think and 
It's something you remind me so much of a good friend of mine. Her name's Shyla. Big shout out to Shyla. She lives in Denver. She was one of my <gasps> staff members. Oh. Can Shyla and I be friends? Because I'm in Denver. Oh my gosh, this is weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she, and she's like, she's just had a crazy life. It sounds so similar to your life. And she's doing so great now. And I remember, I know she won't care about it. She's crazy. She's awesome. But I remember at a point, everybody there would be people be like, oh, you know, like, we, you know, we, we should, she shouldn't be here because she's like just crazy and stuff. And I remember I always would tell people, I'm like, yeah, but at least I know what I'm getting. Like a lot of people, you're just faking your way through life and putting on a mask for how you think other people should see you. I said, at least I know she's honest about all the shit she's been through. Like, and a lot of people aren't, they just cover it up. I'd rather you just talk about it <laughs> the shit you don't want to talk about mm-hmm. than lie to other people to make them think you're someone else. You can only hide that for so long before the holes start coming out. Yeah. And the water starts spraying everywhere. Like the real you is going to appear at some point. Might as well just exactly. let it appear and deal with it. Exactly. And I, I do try to warn uh, new people and also like, I still have that emotional trauma. So there can be times where somebody says something that wasn't bad at all and I'll start crying. Yeah. It's very rare nowadays, but it can still happen. It happens between Tyler and I more than anything. He's my partner uh, and he's had to learn how to deal with it yeah. and how to support me yet not be my support like not be my one and only yeah and he'll show up when I need him yet half the time like when he can like gauge that I can do it he's like you're an independent bad bitch go do it (laughs) so I'm very fortunate to have him around and it's it's definitely the type of thing that I try to tell people I'm not a party person like I'm fun don't take me drinking too many drinks in I will be the one crying in the corner or trying to hug everyone because I just want to be loved. I'm not a fun drunk at all, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of sad, but it's, it's not going to change. More honesty. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, listen, this has been incredible. I love the openness, the honesty and the vulnerability. So Jen, tell everybody how they could hear your podcast and get in contact with you. Thank you. And I was thinking about this a lot and how to say link tree because it's link L I N K T R dot E E for link tree. And that just like, is so weird to me. I know. Forward slash shit to talk about. And that's <laughs> shit. The number two talk about, and that's how you find the YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, iTunes, TikTok. You find all the shit there. And yeah. it, however you want to listen, we're also as a heads up, since I lost my job, I can't pay for my podcast anymore. So we are asking for donations too. Uh, so just sharing and listening is a huge help too. So awesome. thank you. Thank you for being on. It's been a real pleasure and uh, I love meeting new people. It's been awesome meeting you. Great. Thank you so much. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, Cruise. 
cruising. You can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at AmFam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.